Hi, I'm Carolina Varchuk. I play Magda in the new X-Men Apocalypse, and you are listening to ContraZoom on Live in Limbo. This is ContraZoom, a Live in Limbo production. This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I am Andreas Fabulakis. Today we are going to talk about the movie X-Men Apocalypse. I know it's been a few weeks since it's come out, but we still want to talk about it, but there's a very specific reason behind it. Andreas actually got the opportunity to do an interview uh, with one of the actors in it. So if you want to kind of ta- uh, set that up a little bit, we're going to listen to the interview later. And then we'll go into talking about the movie. Yes, um, I had the pleasure to interview upcoming actress Carolina Bartzak, who plays Magda in the film, which is Magneto's wife. And I mean, she was an absolute pleasure to talk to. Um, very exciting. And um, I got some great insight into the film, you know, the behind the scenes, just how these mutants on screen are, you know, off camera, just just how much fun it was and all the experience that she she basically got from what's possibly her biggest film yet. So no, that was an absolute pleasure. That's cool. Well, uh, we're, I'm excited to, to play this cause it's a really good interview. Um, but first I guess right off the bat, this is the third film in the new X-Men series, but it still sort of ties into the original three, uh, and I guess sort of with the Wolverine spinoff movie, I don't really know it, it, how much that world is incorporated into it. But for these main six X-Men movies, they actually haven't been too bad. They, they've they ranged from really, really solid to great with the first X-Men and X2. And then uh, X-Men First Class was pretty phenomenal to sort of mediocre with some bad parts in it like X3 was kind of a bad movie, but there were still some good elements to it. And then X-Men Apocalypse sort of falls into that where we've sort of talked about this before when we were talking about one of our early Oscar Best Picture winners, where there's very specific moments in it that work, and there are very specific moments that do not work. It's sort of like turning a tap off and on at some points. Did you sort of feel the same way about that? Absolutely. I mean, I heard some really harsh things about this film and, you know, going into it, um, in my, in my tip sheet, actually, I was fully excited to see this film because I thought it was going to rank up there with even Civil War, which that was, that was quite a film in itself. So, um, hearing this kind of backlash that I got where, you know, it was like this massive disappointment and just not even just bad, but like, a catastrophe you know like having seen it and i think you'll agree i think that was quite a hyperbole i mean as you said there are moments that work and moments that don't but it's far from the worst thing i've ever seen um i think the best comparison you can make is actually um the third x-men film the last stand or i found even um to a much better extent of course the third Spider-Man movie where there was maybe a little bit too much happening. And in a sense, it got a bit much in a silly kind of way where, you know, you couldn't take in so much. So it, it kind of just became silly, but I mean, 
for what it's worth, I still found a lot of it quite good. I mean, what did you think? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Like, as far as, you know, stuff going on too much, I think all of the main good guys in the film, they've all been pretty fleshed out. So that way they don't need a ton of background information to understand what the character's motivations are. And they did a good job, a decent enough job, uh, slowly introducing new characters as the series progresses. So that way you're not startled by having to figure out who these 20 people on screen are. Um, and I think as far as, um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse go, they did a pretty good job of each having very different motivations behind everything. Like Magneto's motivations have been, uh, I I think were, were by far the most clear as someone who just can't find happiness in his life. By the time he, he, he reaches that it's never lasting very long. This has been kind of a constant battle and really makes Magneto quite possibly one of the most interesting comic book hero uh, comic book characters in cinema because he is so conflicting where you understand completely where he's coming from and he's not acting out of blind rage he's acting out of a place of deep hurt of someone who's been whose life has just completely gone through the ringer yeah i mean you could see eric from first class until now just basically having Every close personal tie he's had, you know, whether it's he himself or like the family connections, like in first class, it was his mother that that uh, I believe got killed right in front of him. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that one uh, until now. So as you said, no- nothing's out of blind rage. And you know, a lot of it can even act- be attributed to the fact that he just doesn't want to have these powers. He doesn't want this kind of life because if he didn't have any of this, he would be fine you know like none of this would have ever happened then again his his powers have also gotten him out of you know out of whatever scenarios he's been a part of and i think michael fassbender uh as we all know on this podcast by now i'm a big fan of has really done a great job throughout these past three movies adding both conflict but also a sense of uh him wanting this power like it's a very big debate that he's constantly having in almost every scene and it, it's quite wonderful acting work yeah it's almost you almost have a uh malcolm x and martin luther king situation going on between xavier and magneto because you have xavier who's preaching uh peace and patience and and working together with uh the community the the non-mutant whereas magneto is much on the opposite where it's like um you know, if violence is needed, then there will be violence sort of thing. So it's sort of a, an interesting di- dichotomy where, you know, comic books on their own are very much um, a social commentary tool, you know, wrapped in superpowers and glossy pastels and things like that. It's very much go- harkens back to social commentary. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, another noteworthy character to bring up, especially in this trilogy, is Jennifer Lawrence's character, who in the very first film, First Class, you see her as one of the shy students who just basically hates herself and what she has. She feels hideous. But now she takes on like a bit of like a leadership role, which I don't know if that's something they felt comfortable with, with uh, Jennifer Lawrence's experience in The Hunger Games. But 
Um, I personally think that was a great a great idea, and I think it worked out kind of all right because um, uh, it's not like a like this kind of came out of nowhere. You can tell that there's a bit of reservation, but at the same time, it feels like it's something that has to be done because there's a lot of exhaustion behind it. Like like this is this is a tiresome kind of situation where they're they're always at battle with something, and at this point, it's like you know a gargantuan feat, you know, given the film's context. So. I feel like um, that was also something that's definitely that was definitely fleshed out really well. And you know, when it comes to like you know the youth revolting, I think that's also something that can be brought up in terms of social commentary with this film. Yeah, um, there there's some interesting ones where I think specifically the the storm character showed uh, a good side of that where they they're sort of forced into living a life as a thief or a beggar uh, out of necessity and and fear for their lives. But given the opportunity to be introduced to a civilized world, by the end, she sort of takes that and runs with it, uh, which is kind of a, a nice sort of change. Yeah, absolutely. Especially since Storm's a character that we were all familiar with in the original um in the original X-Men trilogy, uh played by Halle Berry. So, you know, this kind of uh, I guess it's an origin story of sorts. Um, it's nice because it's it's not quite expected and it's not quite out of left left center either. So yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that was it was a nice it was a nice yet not not drastic change. Yeah. Uh, two more things I want to briefly mention before again to maybe some things that that I didn't care about so much. I thought Sophie Turner as Jean Grey was was pretty fantastic, a great casting choice, and she she really handled the role and the weight of that well. There were a couple times where she maybe was uh outacted by um James McAvoy in their scenes together, but as a whole, I thought that she was, was very solid. No, absolutely. I, um, I have not much more to add to that. I think you basically took the words out of, out of my mouth there. So, um, I fully agree with you there. And I think the the last, possibly possibly the best part of the movie was um, the Quicksilver's re-entrance into the world yes. as uh, the X-Mansion, Xavier's Mansion or whatever, is being blown up. Um, it's basically what at least a 10-minute sequence or something like that. Uh, I was reading that he actually spent three weeks just shooting that sequence where he goes in running super fast and everything is slowed down so it looks frozen. And he literally rescues every single person in the entire building while things are very slowly – this explosion is very slowly creeping up. I thought it was amazing cinematography, special effects, all that sort of stuff. And then just sort of perfect acting, you know, it was, it was funny enough. There were a couple serious closer moments, tense moments, but, but overall, like everything about that sequence just works so perfectly. No, absolutely. And that, that was actually like my biggest argument that, you know, this movie isn't nearly as bad as what people are saying. Cause to me, a bad movie, and I mean like a disaster of a film doesn't have moments like this where, you know, at most they might be like, okay, well, you know what, that was decent, but this was unbelievable. I mean, it was a step in the right direction from even what was happening in Days of Futures Past, where you know you had you had this scene, 
And yeah, it felt like what, like 10 minutes. All of it was just absolutely stunning. Like the special effects, the slow motion when everybody's like so glacially moving and he's putting everything back into place. I thought that was just absolutely magnificent, you know, and you just don't see catastrophic films having beautiful moments. So, you know what, like it's stuff like this that definitely bring it towards, a, a, you know, a better rating because, you know, when you have a part in a film, no matter what it is, it takes your breath away. I mean, you don't forget that. You just don't. And uh, I think you might agree with me. Best scene in the film, like by far. Absolutely. Yeah, well, there, there we go. Then we're in agreement then. <laughs> and this, this is two movies in a row that Quicksilver has basically stolen the movie because they had a, a very similar sequence in Days of Future Past when they're breaking into whatever the CIA building, the government building, and they do something sort of similar. And it's also spectacular. Yeah, with the with the bullets, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think again, like I think this was taking Days of Future's past scene and even taking it a step further. I would it, say. I think it didn't feel better. rehashed. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was a silly concept, but it was different. It was refreshing. And I think it was even better. Yeah. Uh, now, things that I didn't like there, there. You know, we're, we're talking about all the stuff that we really like. I think there was quite a bit that that didn't go wrong. I, I'm possibly the biggest Oscar Isaac fan, uh, and for some reason, him as Apocalypse just did not work for me. I never felt scared or threatened by him. Uh, the one moment that was really cool of him when he grew to be 50 feet it was in a, a dream sequence sort of thing inside xavier's head like why why couldn't they do that when he was in the regular world like that was sort of frustrating and it just sort of felt wasting his talents yeah i don't know what it was because i don't i don't think he like overacted or anything but it still felt like there was a distance between what he was doing and through all of the costumes and everything and through the lens into the way that we perceive it. It just felt like a huge disconnect. And I don't know if it was, again, I don't think it was overacting, but I don't know what it was. It didn't feel like a fully utilized character. And I don't know if that was him, if it was such directing. I'm not sure what it was. Cause like you, I'm an Oscar Isaac fan, maybe not as much as you. Cause I mean, I'm a huge fan, but I think he's like your favorite right now. Yeah. He's um, probably my favorite working actor right now. Absolutely. And I can easily see why. Um, so yeah, it's not like it's anything against his credit because again, I don't think it was a bad acting job or anything. But it, it it was a, I think his character is just a difficult one. Period, and it just wasn't fully realized. I think that's that's what it was, and it wasn't just him. It was basically every every aspect: the costumes, the directing, the the, the dialogue, and as you said, like uh, if he if he basically nailed it in that one dream sequence why not elsewhere which to me that's a directing thing you know like that's uh, where's that kind of tone in the rest of the film right i think that i think that's singer's duty that that should have been something that should have been throughout but i wouldn't say it's an awful performance it just i kind of felt like it was missing something for sure Singer, you you bring up Brian Singer. I think he's someone who, frankly, is not that great of a director. You know, he has one absolutely classic movie on his resume uh, in The Usual Suspects, but I think that has more to do with the quality of the script and the fact that you have all of these legendary performances by by these fantastic actors who all just completely nailed their parts. Whereas, yeah. other than that, Brian Singer really has not done a lot 
of worthwhile stuff. Yeah, and it's funny that you bring up the usual suspects because that, believe it or not, is a very divided film depending on who you talk to. Some people like you think it's an absolute classic, whereas like Ebert, like for instance, and some other massive critics absolutely hated it. But I think the reason why, and I think you pegged it, is not the script, it's not the acting, it's because the directing is either you view it as something that added to the whole with the script and the performances, or it just seemed very schlocky, which was what Ebert's problem was. He was basically like, really? I, I can't follow this. This is irritating. And not that any of his other works actually reflected the usual suspects, but yeah, I mean, he's done good film, but as you said, the usual suspects is the only one where some people would consider that an absolute gem, which I love the usual suspects myself. And yeah, I mean, he's done good work, but nothing else you would say is like a modern kind of masterpiece of sorts. So. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and then uh, a, a kind of another issue that I had with as far as the plotting goes is basically that whole um, from the moment that the mansion is blown up and um, they, uh, the army comes in and, and kidnaps some of the mutants and they go to that uh, secret army bunker and they're kind of placed in jail and they meet up with Wolverine and stuff like that. That whole part seemed 100% useless and should not have been there at all because it basically culminates with Xavier mind getting into Jean Grey's mind to tell them where he is, which could have been done anywhere. Yeah. Um, in a movie where a lot, where there's essentially too much happening, you don't want useless scenes like this. And you know, and the other two, I don't know what to call them newer x-men films first class and uh days of futures past which first class let's be honest was was excellent but it wasn't like like extremely tight like it had its moments days of futures past is where x-men truly shined but even then like i wouldn't say anything in first class was use was useless per se apocalypse had way too much going on to begin with so you don't want time to be wasted and you're right it's something that they could have done elsewhere i guess it was because they wanted some sort of tension but what's there's no tension in a scene where it's immediately removed right afterwards there's the, no point the only purpose of that entire sequence was to showcase wolverine because yeah. without that they either would have had to introduce wolverine separately or something else and I think they did a fantastic job introducing Wolverine, and I think his fight sequence was probably one of the best fight sequences that they've ever done in the X-Men franchise. It's the only time that it's actually been gritty and bloody, and you actually kind of, by the end of it, kind of felt a little disgusted and put off by just how violent it was in, in a good way, which I think is they, you know, they've directly come out to say that the new Wolverine is going to be rated R because of how successful Deadpool is. So they're going to try to replicate that. So this is sort of setting up the Wolverine is actually kind of a scary guy. Which is a great step in, in the right direction, because like Deadpool, Wolverine's got his own uh, regeneration power. So I remember in the comics when I used to read them, like Wolverine would just be burnt borderline to death have like all of these holes in him like bullet holes stab wounds and everything and it was like as a kid it was disturbing stuff but once i kept reading and i realized oh you know what this guy's gonna be okay so this is this is something that we can deal with it was okay so i think comic book movies especially with characters like this were missing that kind of 
that kind of graphic detail because in the end, you know, you knew like well, Deadpool was going to be fine because like his his rejuvenation powers are just on a whole another level. So you kind of need that in a Wolf, in a Wolverine film, especially if you're a massive fan because. If you know he's going to get through almost anything anyways, why not show the extent of that? You know what I mean? So I, I, I'm i with you. I think that was a great decision to at least kind of foreshadow that. And let's see how bad it gets. I mean, in terms of its violence. Uh, yeah, it, it just like felt so out of place and unnecessary as far as a we get it, you're just setting up another movie sort of thing, which a lot of people really have gripes with. Like, it's a different thing to be a post-credit scene because those usually make sense. But the whole aspect of having a sequence specifically in a movie to set up another one, every single time that happens, fans hate it. Yeah, that's a great point you bring up, of course. Whereas um, if it was post-credits, as you said, that would have been... That would have been all right, uh, but they had their own thing that they were doing, so I guess they thought that was more important. Um, in a film like this, especially since the X-Men films have been doing so well, you don't want anything that makes it feel like a trailer to something else. And, you know, Marvel's been accused of that with their other, with actual Marvel films, like, you know, the Avengers universe and everything. So, uh Again, the, the less unnecessary stuff, the better in a film like this, where there's already too much too much going on. But uh, as somebody who doesn't really care for Wolverine, I I appreciated what they were doing, but I also, as you said, wasn't a fan of it. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I think the last thing that sort of like really w- was sort of a, a major tick in the wrong box for me was bringing back Rose Byrne's character. Um, yeah, what was up with that? I don't know. She served a really good purpose in the first movie, and she wasn't bad in this one. But the character just felt really shoehorned in for to give James McAvoy a love interest sort of thing. But even then, she really didn't do very much. Like she had this the intro where she finds the the resurrection of apocalypse which if they had left it at that that would have been kind of cool um but the fact that they kept going with it and then she just sort of stood around and did nothing the whole movie it didn't really make any sense yeah especially because there was no kind of progression in days of futures past you know uh well, they uh, they get around that by, you know, the fact that at the end of uh, First Class, they wipe her memory, and then they bring up the fact that they wiped her memory in this movie. So they kind of make it come back, but still, it was... But it, it, it's shoehorned, as you said. Yeah. If, like, as if there was an actual legitimate reason to have brought her back, maybe it would have felt more right if they worked more on it, but... It kind of just felt like, hey, let's bring back Rose Byrne, which I have no problem with. I'm a big fan of hers, but the character just wasn't right for the film. And again, there was too much stuff going on. So, you know, just was it necessary to kind of have that element going on at all? I mean, Xavier's got enough of his own shit going on. I don't think that's something else that he needed, you know? Yeah, um, it was kind of, it was just one of the, like I said, it was weird to shoehorn and she just, in like literally the second half of the movie, she was just standing around doing nothing. She, it was like, oh, we got to have Rose Byrne in this shot just in case. And, and she would do nothing because she has no superpowers. She can't really fight these mutants because they'd all overpower her. So like, it, it just made no sense. Yeah. Whereas in first class, she was a great connection to, you know, like, 
between the mutants and the agency. Like here, as you said, not, not much of a purpose. So not not entirely necessary. As much as I like. Was there anything else that sort of didn't work that you want to bring up? Uh, aside from anything that you brought up, and you know, just the fact that when it was ambitious and it worked, it was great, and when it didn't, it was silly. Um, I don't know how I feel about Olivia Munn's Psylocke character. I mean, what do you think? I, I I felt like it was it was a good effort, but it just didn't quite feel as as potent as some of the other mutant actors are. Maybe like in an Oscar Isaac kind of way, where there was a great honest effort there, but I just didn't quite feel it. I liked. I, I sort of mentioned this at the top, where I thought the four Apocalypse characters, each of them had different motivations, and I think they played those motivations out properly. You know, you had Storm, who was lost and confused. You had Angel, who was uh, sort of, you know, ripped apart and and going through depression and just needed something to bring him back. Uh, Magneto was being taken advantage of by his new loss. And then you had Psylocke, who basically seemed like was a was a gun for hire. And yeah. I sort of like that I don't I don't care. I'm in this for me attitude. I I th- I think the motivations were there. I think Olivia Munn isn't the strongest actor, so that was sort of hindered that they set it up well, they scripted it well. And then you know, she sort of just stands around and then at the very end she's given a fight scene and you just kind of left your head scratching because it just sort of comes out of nowhere and she seems powerful at times and then super weak at other times that it wasn't really fleshed out properly kind of underwhelming you know (laughs) yeah yeah like all the other new mutants i think did a far better job like nightcrawler was pretty fantastic gene gray was fantastic i thought cyclops was really great uh like there's a whole bunch of them that I thought did a really interesting job. Even Storm, I thought she did a, a really good job. And then there were just some of them that you just kind of left scratching your head. Pretty much, but um, I mean, aside from that, you know, it wasn't nearly as bad as people said. I think we we found some some great qualities in a film like this. So I'm gonna hang on to those. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's uh, let's take a listen to your interview, uh, and then we'll come back. We'll just sort of wrap it up. The day before the premiere of X-Men Apocalypse, the third in this new wave of X-Men films, and I'm here with one of the new characters in the film, played by Carolina Bartek. Hi. Canada's very own. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Well, absolutely. It's, it's a pleasure. And speaking of being a part of something, you know, there's a lot of superhero films out now with star-studded casts, but I don't think it could get much bigger than the X-Men franchise. I mean, you have some of the biggest names, period. You know, Academy Award winners, nominees, you know, like theater actors, all sorts of people, all walks of life. Yeah, what a dream to to get to see all those people in one movie, huh? Absolutely. And I mean, what, what a dream it is to like be a part of those people. I mean, how does it feel? <laughs> um, uh, it still seems very unreal. I met Jennifer Lawrence for the first time two weeks ago. And as I, as I, as I walked up to a dinner table, she turned around to me and said, Hey, I'm Jen. I thought you were really great in the movie. And I just went, Oh, oh, hi. I thought you were good too. Like I just, it was a whole five years of admiring her wanted to come out in one sentence. And that was the best I came up with. 
Well, I think somebody like Jennifer Lawrence would have been the exact same way when she was first breaking out, you know, with Winter's Bone and such back then. So um, as you were just saying, you were admiring her from way before. Was it because of X-Men? Um, I think... I think I, I I always respected her work, obviously in the Hunger Games, but I think I really fell in love with her, um, with uh, with God, I can't even think of the name right now. Um, <laughs> what should I be thinking? She won the first Oscar for. Oh, Silver Linings. Oh my God, yes. There we go. I I really fell in love with her in Silver Linings Playbook. She's so That's dynamic. Fictional. She's so dynamic, so fun, so complicated, um, and her performances are always just so fun to watch. Which I guess. Uh, really works out with something like X-Men where a lot of it is fun but a lot of it is serious as well never mind just her character which is a literal shapeshifter right so yeah but even in that movie she gets to move from really really dark to really really light yeah. in, in, in every scene she can she has the room to do so um, in X-Men she has to you know stay more within the genre but in, in Silver Lightning's playbook she really got to she really got to play a lot more absolutely and well, now you have this this opportunity because you're a part of this franchise as well. You know, you're, um, you know, Jennifer Lawrence was the same kind of person where when she was first nominated, she was sitting around and like, oh my god, that's Jeff Bridges! I can't believe I'm in this company. And now, like, this is basically your moment. So, do you see yourself in five years basically having maybe a younger person coming into like this big project you're a part of and being like, oh my god, I can't believe it! It's Carolina Barczyk. Oh my god, I wish. I mean, I don't know. It's so hard to predict. That is my hope, and that is my hope that my trajectory will go in that direction. Um, you know, if I'm, if if I, I hope that if I keep working hard, that that's exactly where I'm going to end up. Well, I mean, this is probably one of the biggest breaks you can get. I mean, for crying out loud! Speaking of Star Strider cast, you're Michael Fassbender's wife in the film. I know right? that's pretty so huge. Cool. How does it feel to be working with one of the most acclaimed actors of our generation? Holy moly! I mean, Michael is and was at that time my favorite actor. I fell in love with him the moment I saw him in Inglorious Bastards and then followed his career every step of the way. So when I, I got the call from my agent saying, you got the part with Michael Fassbender, I was like, I can't believe I'm working with Michael Fassbender. And then I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to be working with Michael Fassbender. It was full of anxiety and, and panic that I wouldn't live up to what I needed to on the day. But he's such a kind person and also a kind and generous actor that he made me feel so comfortable on set and and we got to we got to kind of you know play around and and figure out how we wanted to do each scene so that definitely made me more comfortable because i mean michael fassbender's been a hero in films like inglorious bastards but he's also been quite a fearsome kind of fellow let's say you know on 12 years a slave you know shame and i guess even an x-men but how does that translate when you're actually on set? Because obviously in the scene, maybe he's going to be a dynamic villain or just visceral. But how does it translate with making you feel comfortable in being in these kind of predicaments? I mean, is there something that he kind of does? Uh, I mean, my relationship with him in the film is a very caring relationship. So maybe that's why I felt more comfortable in the, in even from the first moment I met him, because that was the dynamic that we needed to make to 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 make people believe that we've been married for ten years, that we have a child together. So that is the that is the only way that I know him is a really kind and generous person. I wonder if I, you know, played opposite him when he's supposed to be evil. If I if I would feel less comfortable, um, because he's so he's so, you know, 
compelling that if I had to see that evil side of him, I probably would be more intimidated. Speaking of evil sides, um, I believe, actually, I, I'm certain this is Oscar Isaac's, you know, big reveal as being, you know, the main villain of the film. We're finally going to get a chance to see that. I'm beyond curious. How did, like, what is he like? How was he as a villain? Uh, it, it, it shows how much of a talented actor he is because he's the nicest human being ever. He's so gentle, so kind, so curious. So when I saw the movie for the first time and he came out with that booming, deep, terrifying voice after I saw him after the film, because we all watched it together. After I saw him, I was like, you're terrifying. He's like, thanks. <laughs> he is a great actor. And I'm asking all of these questions about, you know, like all of these different versatile actors on the set because, um, you know, X-Men, again, because it's such an eclectic variety of so many talents that just so many emotions, characters, dynamics... What could you take away from a film that's this much of a tapestry of just everything in terms of filmmaking? Um, I mean, I only got to see one small angle of the film. My part uh, exists in a world that is very much uh, rooted in just human interaction. My part of the film is rooted in the drama part of the film, which propels uh, Eric to become Magneto. So I didn't get to see the different facets. I did get to see the enormous sets and the you know, the how many people worked on the film and, and how much went into the film, which I had never seen before. Um, obviously, X-Men is one of the biggest... It's a tentpole film. A lot goes into it. So uh, that was really interesting. I had never seen that before. That must have been extremely exciting. I mean, what was the first thing you did when you saw, like, something that big? Did you need a second to take a sec... Like, to take a step back and say, okay, what is this? Or did you just leap right into it? I mean, I'd love to say that I'm so professional that I was focused on every single moment that was happening between me and Michael as as actors. I, it was really hard to remain focused because you have so many people around you. You have so many people at all times. I mean, these are all the people at the height of their profession. You know, the, the, the camera people, the, the lighting designers, everyone. So... Everyone wants to make sure that everything looks perfect. So at all moments, people are stopping to fix something uh, mechanically, technically, uh, on your on your wardrobe, on your face. So it takes every ounce of effort to remain focused and, and, and to say to yourself, my only goal is to do this in this scene. Only think about that. Don't think about the fact that James McAvoy just walked on set and is watching you act out this scene. <laughs> And how did you focus with all of this stuff going on? I know you, like, perhaps a repetition to yourself, but, like, how did you ultimately achieve that? Was it ever hard? Uh, of course it was hard, but also I was working with an extremely professional crew. For example, one scene that we did, um, it's a very, very heartbreaking scene, and it's a very big emotional scene for Michael. Um, that day, everyone... I, I can't believe this. There was probably 150 people, uh, crew members, on set, and we walked on set that day and you could hear a pin drop. Everyone was being so silent and everyone was so ready really? to let Michael have his moment. And he, he, he prepared himself and got himself to where he needed to be. And as soon as he you know, gave Brian Singer a little bit of a nod, we jumped into it. And, and as you'll see in the film, it's extremely heartbreaking and compelling. Um, and and we, only, we only shot it twice because I'm sure it was so emotionally exhausting for him. Which... I'd like to ask what that is, but I'd also like to, I guess because it sounds so 
earth shattering, leave it be until I finally see the finished product. Yeah, I'll, I'll, it's, it's better if you see it. <laughs> it's pretty epic. Well, I've I've seen the other two um, recent X Men films. Well, I've seen all of them, but you know, Days of Future's Past and and First Class are just epic in themselves. So. Like I said, I'll leave it be. Now, um, you brought up Brian Singer, which, you know, I think he's, he's great when, when it comes to, like, bringing out, like, all of these social issues, you know, within first class. A lot of it had to do with, like, you know, the political crises back in the times of which it came from. And, you know, there's just so many issues, like, um, belonging in society. Like, what's equality? What's, you know, the biodiversity that we all have? But how could we unite, basically? Like, well... X-Men United is actually one of the films. So I know you saw this film from one particular angle and you have yet to see the finished product, but how important do you think it is like that this film, you know, represents a lot of like what's going on now politically, let's say. Well, I think what, I mean, why I love the X-Men franchise probably above uh, other comic book films is that this movie is about prejudice. It's about, um, having a prejudice against a small group in society and trying to control them and trying to oppress them and not letting them uh, manifest themselves into the beautiful creatures that they can be. And I mean, that is the history of humanity. We have always human. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a human flaw that we always want to oppress a smaller group of people who are not like us. And I love the fact that those are, those are some of the themes that are explored that Brian Singer explores and, and he, and he goes there. I mean, with the, um, with the Holocaust references in the first film, right. those scenes are so heartbreaking. I mean, yeah. And, and that's why I love the X-Men films out of all of them because they are so rooted in truth. I've, of course there's this fantasy element to it, but it's all rooted in, in, in truth. Maybe, you know, the title kind of have its own significant meaning like x-men maybe x is the integral number of how many people can be like affected by this kind of a story and like just humanity it's just it's, it's basically everybody mutants or non-mutants yeah exactly now from the parts that you were part of because you said your characters kind of involved more in the actual world as we know and not necessarily like the mutant inhabited parts of the world, like you know, like maybe the school of, of for the mutants. But from the actors you worked with, how many of those maybe used this unifying of humanity as a source of like where their characters are coming from? You know, like the emotional impact. Um, I mean, I I only worked with uh, Michael Fassbender because only my scenes were with him. I didn't actually uh, get to enter the the uh, the fantasy worlds, unfortunately. Um, but I think all of the actors, you know, Storm, for example, she is also, there's, there's prejudice against her and she has to fight for her own survival. I think we've all faced rejection. We've all faced people not liking us, not trusting us, finding a danger within us. So I think all the, all, all the actors had to reach deep down and it's, it's probably not that hard to, to, to capture that feeling. We've all felt it. Which is an unfortunate thing, but at the same time, it's part it's, of life. Exactly. It, it's good because it's uh, at least, you know, nobody's alone and feeling, you know, rejected or kind of just like outcasted. Right. Yeah. And, and if you look at Jean Grey or Cyclops, I mean, these people are terrified of themselves. They're terrified of what they might do. They might hurt someone. They don't understand what's going through them. It's like they're almost going through a heightened puberty in a sense. I mean, we all went we all went through that and how and and 
and how life changes and, and how we're not prepared to change with it. Absolutely. Um, seeing as you are here from Canada um, on, on the same topic, Canada loves to boast that it's got a lot of like diversity and multiculturalism and how much of that could you kind of like correlate between, you know, like, you know, Canada and X-Men? Oh, I, I'm not sure. I think, I think we're lucky that we live in a country that is so accepting of people of different, uh, ethnicities and, and religions. I don't know if I necessarily see any of, any of X-Men in Canada, to be honest. <laughs> Fair enough. Now to go back to the film, um, it, this is the third in this in this new revival of it, and uh, I believe it's would it be the would I be wrong to say this the closing of the trilogy? Or? Ah, it's hard to say. Every day I feel like there's a new there's a new press release. Uh, one day Jennifer Lawrence says she's not doing it anymore. The next day she says that she loves it and she would love to do it again. I think it all depends what direction that they want to take that Simon Kimberg wants to take the story. How does it get worse at Apocalypse? So I mean that's that's already quite damning. Ah, uh, you'll uh, you'll see you'll see. Well, I certainly can't wait to. Now, um, your part, you said it was heavily involved in, like, reality, but did you get a chance to work with any special effects? Like, you know, green screens? No, nothing, nothing. Nothing. I had one stunt, and that stunt was to fall over. That's not fair. Everyone else got to be hanging in ropes and learn how to sword fight and stuff, and I just fall over. <laughs> but it's still in the X-Men film, so I think that's still, you know a lot better than I could do. <laughs> now, um, I don't know, maybe to wrap things up, let's say, uh, what, what could you take from a film like this? Like, you've learned so much about, like, you know, like, working on such big sets, working with, like, you know, people of this caliber. Is there anything else that you could take away from this that, you know, you, you could cherish from here on out? Uh, for sure. I mean, the experience from the very beginning was so interesting. For example, there was a lot of changes to my character, even after I was cast. So all the preconceived notions that I had of how I was going to do things and how I'd wanted to approach them, they all had to be, in the end, they all had to be fluid. And that was the biggest lesson for me is to arrive on set or arrive to the film shoot and be ready for everything to change and be okay with that. Just, you know, accept the new changes and try and, and try and work that into to your process. Um, it was also really fun to meet uh, these amazing actors. And in the end, you just, it's still hard to remember that they're just human and they're just trying to make it in a tough industry as well. No one, no one is sitting there comfortably. Everyone is struggling in, in, in some way or another in the industry. And it's important to remember that. Um, I'll hit on both points you brought up because I think they're both significant. I'll revert back to, um, you're saying your character had a lot of fluid changes. Do you remember like what those were? Like how your character was until, you know, the final draft? Sure. Um, one of the things, for example, was that we weren't sure how, what language she was going to be speaking in. We weren't sure if I was going to end up being Polish or if I was going to end up being, uh, you know, of some English speaking language. So, until about the day before, I had learned my script just in case, in in uh, with a with a British accent, with an English, with a with a Polish accent in Polish. I, I was just I was ready for anything at that point. Right. Wait. So you can actually pull off 
speaking simultaneously in both accents? Uh, I mean, it usually takes like a, a good, a little bit of time to feel comfortable right. in either accent. But I had practiced both in my hotel room for hours. So I was ready to do whatever they needed me to do on the day. Would you be able to try that now? No, don't make me do that. That's horrible. <laughs> I want to learn your ways. I mean, I, I, I'm the kind of person who tries to do accents all the time and I'm miserably awful at them. So it's just a matter of listening. I, I use YouTube as my biggest source. It's literally, a, it's a, you just listen to it and, and find the placement of the accent in, in the mouth. Some, some accents like French speak vary from the front and Canadians speak vary from the back. And it's just a matter of uh, locating where that accent is. So it does take practice. Anytime I get an audition that I have to do, um, you know, a UK accent, I, I almost have to go to the beginning and relearn it. Really? Mm -hmm. I never actually quite noticed that maybe because I only have this one dull accent, but <laughs> okay, that's something to keep in mind then. Maybe that's why all of my initial pad, but <laughs> to go into things that are actually more important than my own selfish needs. Mm -hmm. um, you brought up, you know, this is an industry everybody's hardworking and, you know, we've just been talking about Fastbender, Jennifer Lawrence and, oh my God, it's, this is an incredible opportunity. But at the same time, as you said, they're hardworking actors who are still just trying to, trying to make it still, even though they're set, they've been nominated, they've won. They still want to stay at the top of their game and always keep getting work. This is basically your biggest opportunity yet, I would say, right? That was my, it's my what? Your biggest opportunity yet. Yeah, I think so. Like, where do you go from here? Oh, God. I don't know. But to touch on what you said about yes. Michael, for example, one day we were just sitting and chatting about about acting careers. And, and he's like, do you think you'll move out to L.A. the way that most actors want to? Right. And I said, oh, man, I, I don't know. I really want to. But I work here and I don't want to just be another brown haired girl in, in L.A. I, you know, it, it might be really tough. And, and he's like, yeah. When I went to LA, I had a really hard time. I, I couldn't, I couldn't hack it. And I was like, Oh my God, you couldn't hack it in LA or you were struggling in LA. I, that's, that's unbelievable to me. And then I'm like, of course, you know, he didn't work, uh, you know, he wasn't, he didn't have a high profile until his thirties. Like he right. struggled for many, many years. And it's, it's inspiring to know that you can go from struggling to being such a, such a good actor. And maybe that's why he is such a good actor because he had to find, he had to exercise himself in, in, in every single way in order to be successful. So I guess the goal here is just to never give up, no I matter think how that's, old you are. I think that's what it is. I think whoever whoever makes in this industry, it's never an accident. They have worked very hard, and you have to be so tenacious. Obviously, some people get lucky. Some th some, it's easier for some people than others, but it's all about tenacity and just keep going and, and never take it personally because because it's it's a really competitive a really competitive industry. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you must have had something to make it into, you know, the X-Men series. So <laughs> that that's massive. And I know I just said I, I was going to wrap things up, but now I'm, now I'm curious. You've been talking to, you know, some of the greats. Are there any interesting stories you can spill? Oh, uh, like, what do you mean about, like, about who specifically and what kinds of stories? What do you want to know? Well, now, now I just want to know everything. <laughs> With a question like that, I don't even know we could go there. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna divulge any secrets. Not that I actually have any. But, um, I mean, it, it, what was really cool about this whole X-Men thing was that Montreal's a small town and we shot in Montreal and we were all staying in the old port and we all had this restaurant that we would go to at the end of the night because it was always very quiet and very chill. And then so I, you, I ended up having dinner with you know, with uh, Oscar Isaac or Michael Fassbender or Jennifer Lawrence, like we all ended up 
um, meeting each other there and chatting and having drinks. So you, you do get to know them and you get, you get to know them as a person. That's incredible. And all of a sudden that facade of, or, or the facade that I placed upon them about being these amazing celebrities and these amazing artists, you all of a sudden just get to see them as like a regular person and, and, and joke about stuff and, and, and have in-depth conversations. And, and yeah, that was probably my favorite part about being a part of this franchise. Again, that's, that's incredible. And if you, if, you lot ever have another meetup in Montreal? Can you invite me? I mean, I'm like four hour drive away. Absolutely. No problem. That sounds great. So a couple of things I need to take away from this. It's never too late to learn an accent and make it big in, in the film industry. Um, Montreal's just over there for some kick-ass X-Men parties and just never give up and biodiversity is great and watch X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great summation of this interview. <laughs> well, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, that was the interview. That was a, that was an excellent job. So thank you very much for doing that. Thank you, and thanks again to Carolina Barczyk and to the people I touch with because um, it was a it was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of energy, uh, quite informative. Just hearing, you know, obviously actors are just people on the side, but just just hearing how they are on, on a set like this, where you know Michael Fassbender and Oscar Isaac are, are just dudes. You know, they they're they're just having fun and this is their job and they thoroughly enjoy it. You know, it, it, obviously it's it's clear information, but you know, it's it's always refreshing to hear stuff like that, especially with people you idolize, you know. So it was it was great. Well, that's great to hear. Uh she definitely seems like she's a solid up and coming actor. Um she's not Canadian born, but she does reside here, so we'll probably definitely see her in more uh Canadian things down the line. It's actually kind of funny. I um one of my old uh acting teachers from college uh, played a, a general in the film or some sort of high military ranking officer. So anytime they they showed the war room, he was uh, he was seen in it, and he had like a couple one-liner moments. That's excellent. Well, there you go. Then I mean, uh, it's always great to see because I I took acting as well when I was in university. It's always great to see people who mentored you or stood alongside you popping up in these roles where it's like, ha, there we go. Like even if it's like minor roles, it's like you know it it feels it feels like gratifying just to you know be like I know this person, you know. So I. I, I fully get it. That, that's pretty sweet, though. Yeah, it was cool because, like, the first time I realized it was shot in Canada because there's a couple moments where you're like, oh, yeah, this this definitely feels like it's in Canada. I, I didn't know if I had known that beforehand or not. But then uh, they show the, the Pentagon scene, and I see him in the background. I'm like, I grabbed my girlfriend because we were watching it together. I was like, oh, that looked like I my teacher because we're in the theater so i couldn't really say it out loud and then like they show him a couple more times and they speak so i'm like yes that's absolutely him so I was, I was definitely very happy to sort of see that i've been meaning to reach out to him hopefully i still have his email address i can send him an email and be like hey great job on getting that x-men part well now that it's recorded and it's on air you're on the clock john bourgeois the- it was great to see you on screen there we go. Now I've got a shout out. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So I say we wrap it up. Uh, 
final thoughts on the movie. I I really have enjoyed this sort of prequel reimagining of the X-Men universe. I think they've done a pretty solid job and and casting really has been the real coup of this series, getting yeah. Fassbender and McAvoy as the as your top two leads and then they've just really surrounded them with some great younger actors and that really have made this trilogy of movies work so well. And the fact that they've incorporated into the original ones, it definitely kind of feel like for us, especially like when the first one came out, we must have been pretty young, um, probably 13, 14, somewhere around there to be able to sort of combine those two worlds. It definitely feels a little gratifying at times. Yeah. I mean, out of any of the Marvel films that I really, really paid attention to the X-Men series, of any sort was um was probably the one that I paid the most attention to because uh, as you said we were really young maybe even younger than that maybe like 11 or 10 or something where when the first one came out and I remember like that battle on the Statue of Liberty where it's like okay you know like I I I'm I'm hooked on this and then X uh, X Men United came out I loved that the Last Stand came out apparently um on the Juggernaut Biatch you know that's all I remember that from that basically, but then first class came out and revitalized everything all over again. So it was great because I, you know, it's one of the few times where I felt like a kid just having popcorn at the film, you know, thoroughly enjoying it. Cause that's something that I've really grown out of, except with the new X-Men films, it brought it all back again. So with apocalypse, again, the fact that it's, it's, it's quite better than a lot of people have given it credit for, you know, there are moments in that, that I just thoroughly enjoyed. And, and it's great because, it's one of the few times at the theaters I'm still like hooked on these popcorny films. And uh, would you say the same thing? Yeah, I I have really enjoyed them. I I haven't seen the the Wolverine standalone film because that one looked really terrible. But with the reintroduction of the character, I'll probably catch the next one. And, and oh, I, and I yeah, hope that. Just- um, I don't know how much more they're going to continue with these sort of prequel world, but I kind of hope that they keep going with them. Yeah, on on the note of Wolverine, awful. That's that's like the only one I'll be like absolutely inexcusable. I haven't seen the second one yet, which is apparently okay. Aren't they doing a Gambit film with Channing Tatum? Apparently, they've been talking about that for so long that I'll believe it when they have a trailer out for it. Yeah, with uh, you know, with his recent bouts in Foxcatcher and his small puny role in The Hateful Eight, uh, I might actually check that out once it finally comes out, if it does. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. Um, well, then let's wrap it up. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you um, for for doing that interview. Thank you to Touchwood for saying that up. Um, and um, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Where can uh, all of our listeners find you, Andreas? You can find me on Twitter at Andreas Bad. And you can find me at DGAPA. And make sure you follow at Live in Limbo and check out liveinlimbo.com for the show notes where we're going to have uh, some more information about the movie, including um, including about the interview and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for listening, everyone.